Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish, and welcome to the final episode of season eight of the podcast. I am very excited to work into my summer break from the podcast. Don't worry, I'll be back in the fall with more episodes, but I'm excited to wrap up this season. It's been a long one. It's been a hard one. Uh, A lot of stuff going on, so I am pleased to get through it. I hope you've enjoyed all the different episodes, uh, learned a lot about data visualization and presentation skills and data communication. So I'm going to get right to this final episode with Danielle Alberti, the graphics editor at Axios. I hope you've been watching Axios's work. They have been doing amazing stuff and they've been growing Tremendously, as you'll hear in the interview, we we talk about the growth of the team, uh, the changes in the tools, uh, their approach to different types of content, how they write around their visualizations, which I found shocking, really, to say the least, like the amount of words that they don't write uh, is pretty amazing. And we also talk about Danielle's approach or thinking on how to communicate large numbers, uh, which has been an important consideration uh, in the last few months as we neared and passed the mark of one million deaths uh, from COVID here in the United States. So I'm going to move you on to the interview with Danielle. And here is that conversation. Hi, Danielle. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Very, very excited. Not only because I'm excited to learning more about the Axios Visuals team, but also because just a big fan of all of your craftiness on the Twitter and, you know, <laughs> get your daughter's little reading nook together. And what are you crocheting now? Is that what I've seen? Cross-stitching. Cross-stitching. How's that going? Um, you know, I, I just finished my first piece in a few years. I, I did it a lot as a kid, but okay. picking it up again as an adult. Nice, nice. Getting a little of that non-screen time? Yeah, that's kind of the goal. I, I started <laughs> sewing a couple months ago, too. Bought a, a sewing machine in February and yeah. just immediately started sewing clothes for me and my daughter. And um, yeah, just kind of trying to pick up a few things to get away from the screen every yeah. once in a while. Yeah, I started umpiring at the Little League because I was like, I need to like not be on this because it's just I mean, you probably know this too. Like, here's my office and five feet away is like the house. And it's Mm -hmm. like the siren call of a computer all the time. And, you know, outside for a little bit just breaks the, the spell. And I feel like, you know, especially as a person who's working in news, I I feel like I really just have like this need to be attached to the news all the time. Yeah. And it's so difficult to break away from that. Yeah. And it's so depressing now. So there's yeah, that. And it's constantly aspect. depressing and, and it's horrible. And you <laughs> yeah. still feel like this obligation that you have to like be there and, and witnessing it. And sometimes it's helpful to have something to just kind of force you to get away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So Axios. So I have been watching from afar, obviously the changes, evolution, your like Mm -hmm. always seem to be hiring these days for more people. So like, what does the team look like right now? Yeah. uh, Well, let's see. When I started about two and a half years ago, it was me managing two other people. Mm -hmm. Um, As of right now, I'm managing a team of nine other people. Wow. Um, So data visualization is 10 and then our illustration team is 10. And oh, we wow. work very closely together, which is why I, I you know, mentioned them that we, we all kind of coexist in the same Slack mm-hmm. room and we edit each other's work and help each other with ideas and frequently collaborate on projects. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've gone from 
a very, very tiny team to something that has just become like this Axios visuals army. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it does seem like we're kind of hiring a lot. Um, we, as local has been expanding, um, you know, we, we launched in two new cities today. Mm. Um, we had to keep hiring visuals people to keep up with that. Uh, we initially started out with this formula of, you know, how many newsletters do we need to launch per new hire mm-hmm. or vice versa, I guess, how many new hires per, <laughs> um, <laughs> per newsletter, yeah. <laughs> for, for extra <laughs> newsletters. But um, I hired several engineering types mm-hmm. last year who have increased a lot of the speed and batching capabilities of a lot of the the charts that we're trying to make. And so it's made it so that we aren't growing quite as fast as we were last year. I gotcha. I gotcha. So yeah, just all a very roundabout way of saying, yes, we have been growing rapidly, but we're, we're slowing down a little bit in this next year or so. Okay. As the head, as that lead editor of the graphics team, how has your job changed or maybe better put like has the process changed by which all this content sort of funnels and goes out the door gosh like so it's it's completely unrecognizable from when i started when i first started we um like i said there were three of us and we basically had an in-house chart builder tool and we had illustrator and we had d3 and okay. most of what we were making was being made in this chart builder tool and um, Illustrator. Uh, today, you know, we we use Data Wrapper for most of our quick turnaround stuff, and we're using Svelte for a lot of our more customized things. But then we also have tons and tons of templates and tools that we're using to really speed up the process. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our sports graphics, they're just templates where we're pulling it up in the console typing a couple of lines and it's spinning up this standings table or something like that. And that's in the internal tool that yeah. the templates are built in. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, you know, we have a couple of other internal tools for, for building stock charts, other mm. kind of fin- finance charts. And then we have, you know, just a few other templates that require a little bit more finessing, you know, like maps and stuff that, right. that require a bit more, actual work, but are still really, really increasing the speed that we're able to do that stuff at. Yeah. Um, so we're using Illustrator a lot less and we have a lot more power over what we're actually doing. Right. So, uh, yeah, that, that process has changed just phenomenally. Yeah. I bet. Um, and whereas before it was our tiny team of three just had to rush, 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 rush to get everything out the door. You know, we were constantly bombarded, just trying to survive. Um, now that we're at like this team of 10 and we're more efficient and we're working faster, we have a lot more time that we can focus on building new tools and really kind of working more on the long-term stories and finding our own stories and doing a lot of the fun stuff that we always wanted to do. Yeah. So I want, I want to ask you about that before we go on to that. Uh So in this previous iteration, it was D3 and Illustrator and this internal tool. Yeah. Do you find now with the changes in the tools and using data wrapper now, do you find that you've moved a little bit more towards uh, interactive graphics, whereas before maybe it was more static images? 
The vast bulk of what we're making um, is still going to be static. Yeah. Um, most of what we're doing is static or like data wrapper interactive, you right. know, like it's a, a tooltip or something. A little yeah. tooltip. Um, that's the vast majority of what we're doing. It's super quick turnaround. It's usually going to run for the newsletter the next day. Um, that's it. Mm-hmm. But we have a lot more time now that we're able to devote to things that require a little bit more creativity, Mm -hmm. um, some more investigation, a lot more time. Um, It's really freed us up that we can chase our own stories. Yeah. So that's really what I wanted to spend some time talking about because Axios clearly is a different animal than like a New York Times or a Post because they seem to be a lot shorter, quick hit newsletter type pieces, as opposed to like the big dive deep. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, we can talk about the evolution in a minute, but I'm curious from a data visualization visuals perspective, do you like the like numerous more shorter hit things rather than the deep dive pieces that maybe take a few months to do? So now both personally and, and maybe as a team, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would kind of push back on the idea that being something that's really painstaking, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of creativity is necessarily a deep dive. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, at Axios, our thing is, is smart brevity. You know, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to get people to learn as much as they can in as short a time as they really can. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're really extending that to our storytelling team where, we want our, you know, longer form graphics to still be fairly brief, fairly concise, mm-hmm. um, low word count, um, but tell a big story in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And frequently that means that we're spending a lot of time working on that, conceiving of it, designing it, editing it. Um, but the reader may only take a couple of minutes to actually digest it. Yeah. You know, in our COVID million deaths project, we worked on that a while. Uh, but ultimately the word count is probably under a hundred. Yeah. Um, there's almost no words there. It, it's, right. it's completely a visual product. And yeah. so that's something that, that we really try to push when we're doing our more immersive storytelling is that we want it to still be very concise. I mean, that must force you to think really differently. Like, it does. Right? Like, so, so can you talk a little bit about that? Because I imagine, you know, for a lot of pieces, it's, you know, even if it's just an exploratory map, there's a lot of words wrapping around that it explains the data right. and explains this and that. But, but yeah, like you said, like a hundred words is like, <laughs> that's, that's like nothing. I, I think that in data visualization, um, especially outside of journalism, um, but also frequently inside of journalism, a lot of people have trouble editing down what they have. Mm-hmm. You know, they they think that if I have all of this data, I need to show all of this data. Mm-hmm. And it's it's such a difficult skill to pinch that down into what is the story that you actually want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um I think for us, that's something that we focus on really heavily is what is the story exactly that we're trying to tell? What is the exact angle that our writer is trying to get across? Mm-hmm. What What is the exact, what is the most interesting piece of this data? What is the thing that the reader needs to understand 
to come away from the story with like an understanding. You yeah, know? yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and that's a skill that we really have to hone in on a lot. You know, I, I definitely see it a lot as people join my team that, that it, it takes a little bit for them to kind of figure out how do we nail down exactly the right pieces yeah. of data to get the information across to the reader um, without including a bunch of extra stuff. Right. So that's just kind of a skill that really needs to be developed. And yeah, it's definitely something that requires a lot of attention and forethought. Yeah. You know, I, I'm coming from Pew Research Center um, where giving everybody everything, everything. is it's generally the preference, right? You want it to be a data dump. You want people to explore everything, have everything. That's fantastic. Like a lot of the time, um, you know, with our, our election project today, um, that we launched today, that's a, a data exploration project. And we want people to be able to explore that. We want people to be able to look at different issues and different districts, Mm -hmm compare the district that they know to the the neighboring district that that their aunt lives in and and see what kind of deductions they're coming up with but the vast majority of our work is not going to be the data exploration kind of work it's going to be the storytelling kind of work it's right. the this is what you need to know and that's a difficult skill to master yeah i mean it seems like now the way you talk about it, it seems like in a lot of ways the words get us off the hook a little bit, right? Because we can like have the graph and then say a whole bunch of other stuff off to the side that we don't actually visualize. And it gets us around a lot of this editing requirement. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find that, you know, a reporter brings the story and they have, you know, X number of things that they want to talk about and you help winnow them down. Do you find that in that winnowing process, you're like, Hey, those three other things actually were pretty interesting, but we're just going to do them as separate stories. And then, does it like come back as like a repeat, not a repeating thing, but like, you know, four little pieces instead of like one traditional longer piece? Yeah, that definitely happens sometimes, uh, as well as vice versa, honestly. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think that's one of those things that goes both ways. Uh, I think one of the things that's really nice about our newsroom is that we're really empowered from the very top to like, we are journalists, we're reporters, we're, we're data journalists, and we are able to tell reporters that we work with whether this is good data or not. Mm-hmm. It is, does this data match the story that you're trying to tell? Um, what does this actually mean? Should we be talking about this? Um, and we have that power to, to be able to work with them. Um, so rather than just being a service desk, you know, we are collaborators. Yeah. And so that is something that frequently happens is that we'll be talking to these reporters and sometimes it is, you know, I saw this other really interesting thing in the data that we should probably either be including in this story or we should be writing another story about, Yeah. you know, like, can we follow up on this? And conversely, you know, a lot of the time reporters have the same, you know, if I have the data, I must use the data. Yeah impulse that that everybody has and frequently we have to be like look i can't put 12 lines on this chart i'm not (laughs) right (laughs) if we put 12 lines on this line chart it's not going to help anybody we need to we need to figure this out what can we actually trim and Mm -hmm. work with them to figure out what can we take off of this 
to really, or, or should we consolidate things? Mm -hmm. How can we make this work more for the reader? Yeah. So, so we definitely go both directions with, um, when we work with our reporters. Yeah. So does every reporter, uh, the visuals for every news story, do they all come through your desk or are the reporters able to use that in-house tool to build like a bar chart, you know, and data wrapper, for example? Yeah. So, um, our reporters are the primary users of that in-house tool. Now, um, it's called Hermes. It does line charts, bar charts, and, um, heat tables. So the reporters use that, but it all has to go past my desk basically for edits. Um, you know, we need to make sure that it's following our house style, that mm-hmm. the data is accurate. You know, we have to do our number checks. Mm-hmm. We we make sure that all of our charts are edited to the exact same standards that anything else would be. Gotcha. gotcha. So yeah, they may they may build it themselves, but right. it's still but it's going, going past us. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned the piece that you all did on uh, marking the milestone of a million deaths in the U.S. from from COVID. Right. Um, definitely, I think kind of a kind of a different piece from your team, both in terms of its kind of size. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but like size on the web, I guess. <laughs> but but I'm curious, and for folks who haven't seen it, and I'll, I'll put a link to it, it was uh, sort of these ever-growing squares as you sort of scroll down over the course of the pandemic. I guess generally, and on the last episode of the show, I, I talked to um, Aliza from, from the New York Times about their stories about the same milestone. I'm just curious about how you and your team think about communicating these really large, important numbers. I think it's impossible for a person to understand what a million means. Um, People aren't capable of actually thinking in that quantity. You understand a person's death. You you understand 10 people's death, um, deaths, but at a million, that's just not something that people can understand. Yeah. And um, we wanted to provide some context for, okay, you, you may not understand what several hundred thousand people would be, but maybe you've been to Nashville. You know, what would it look like if just Nashville ceased to exist? Mm-hmm. Um, and then so many of the events that we included are events that you grew up in American public schools learning as like some of the most disastrous things that have happened in in U.S. history. And when you compare these numbers against wars, um, they dwarf them. Right. Um, So we wanted to add that kind of scale. And, you know, clearly there was as as is always the case in in data visualization there's a lot of conversation about how trying to represent a million people with just abstract shapes on a page isn't enough and that's it's true it's not enough <laughs> yeah right right um but um it is something that can provide a little bit of context to just what is the sheer magnitude of it yeah i mean i i think the thing that bothers me a little bit about that that whole sentiment that you know if we use any shape bars or squares whatever that we can't get people to really feel the impact of a million deaths or a million whatever it is a million big things 
and I think that argument in a lot of ways sort of misses the point that that's not really what these pieces are about. It's about right. putting in context, not necessarily making you feel at like a visceral, yeah, heartbroken level. Right. I think that there is a place for, you know, the kinds of stories that are talking about the individual victims mm-hmm. and, um, you know, this person with their family and this person with their hopes and dreams and this person's photo. And you can do individual portraits of people. And that's clearly going to absolutely break your heart. But there's also a place for showing like, okay, so we've seen this is a portrait of five people. Those five people are this little tiny blip in this massive block of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of more people who are exactly like that. Yeah. So showing that kind of scale is something that you can absolutely provide in addition to the microcosm of Mm -hmm. who these people were. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of space on the internet. We can, we can do all of it. Honestly, (laughs) right. 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 No, no data visualization, no, no, journalistic project has to be everything for everyone. And that's something that, you know, we have to talk about a lot. Yeah, I I think that's right. And I think it's often like more of a body of work to look at rather than each kind of individual piece. I mean, I look at some of the folks on your team, like, you know, Will Chase and I, you know, Will's been on the show and like, Mm -hmm. um, I go through his work and it's sort of like, you know, you kind of see this body of work and, you know, sometimes he's playing around, right? Like he's playing with the illustrations and now I know there's an illustr- you know, a, a design team. So he's clearly like working with them. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I think oftentimes maybe we in the data this field pick a project from an organization that's putting out a lot of stuff and pick it apart and not see this larger narrative that they're pulling together. And I mean, you see that all the time um, with journalism in general, like, why are you covering this story when there is also this other story that's more important? Well, we're covering that story too. Right. We're, we can do we're both. Covering, we're covering both stories. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely something that data viz is subject to is, yeah, we, we can do million COVID deaths. We can do midterm Google trends. We can also do hot dog prices in Detroit. Yeah. Um, these are all things that we can do. Um, I think it's, you know, one thing that I think is kind of important to note is that in data journalism in general, we've had a rough two years. Yeah. It, yeah. it it has been a lot of counting deaths and every day it's putting out more charts of horrible yeah. things. It's it's been it's been a really rough couple of years for for data journalists. Yeah. And um in addition to all of that work, you know, I, I definitely like it when my team can kind of branch out into the silly, mm-hmm. branch out into the more abstract and do something that they can actually have fun with because yeah. they need a break. Right. They, right. They need a break from the misery. Yeah. Um, okay. So then let's pivot away from the misery a little bit, although <laughs> maybe depending on your view, um, I want to talk about the new election project. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, um, I'll, I'll again, put the link on the show notes so people can check it out, but it's, it's a collaboration between you all and the Google news lab and Alberto Cairo. Is that right? Uh, 
Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so this seems to be sort of a different type of piece for your team. It's more mm -hmm. of a big exploratory piece. So can you uh, just talk about it a little bit? Yeah. Um, so we've been working with Google Trends for, I don't know, probably about a year on a few different projects. No, actually, we've been working with Google Trends for several years. Uh, we put out every year we put out the year in news um, spark line right. that right. that always gets a lot of attention. And that one's fantastic. And so spinning off of that partnership that we have with them, um, we've done several different projects with them. And this is definitely the most ambitious so far. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we wanted to we wanted to visualize what are the trends that are really going to what are the issues that are really going to to matter in November? What are people really focusing on? Um, but we also wanted to make sure that we're kind of tracking it in real time. We've mm -hmm. been collecting this data, I want to say since around Christmas. Oh, okay. Um and so we're we're collecting this to see what the actual trend lines look like throughout this entire process. We'll be updating it, I believe, weekly um, to just show how things are are changing as we get closer to the elections. Yeah. Um, so you'll see that we released it today. the The data is from last week. I I think ending last Monday. Yeah, the twenty fourth. I think is what I saw. Um. So you'll certainly see that like. Gun control is not quite as high up as it will probably be in our next update, you right. know? Um, but because of that, we're getting these snapshots in time of what are people talking about? What is what is that top of mind right now? Mm -hmm. I think what's really interesting about it is seeing there's a, a barcode element that I think is just really fantastic and being able to see what is the overall distribution across all of the, the districts, but then selecting, you know, whichever district you want to focus on your district um, and seeing where it falls in the barcode, I think mm -hmm. is just a really cool feature yeah. um, to, to see just what matters to us. Yeah. It is interesting. I, I feel like I have seen more uh, maps being combined with some sort of distributional element so that it's, you know, mm -hmm. if it's this one's congressional districts, so you've got, I don't know how many districts there are. There's 3,000 zip codes or whatever it is. So, you know, all these all these lines. But I've seen other ones where it's like there's a little bar chart above the top. I use a thing where I put like convert the legend into a bar chart, just getting that distributional piece because you look at this map and you're like, I mean, the classic, right? See the presidential election. Like, yeah, Wyoming's yeah. all red, but like I don't know how to like see the distribution. Naturally. Um, the other piece that I really like about it and I, I tend to like, once I play around with it, then I look at like the small things is you, 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 you all inserted this little information tooltip thing that tells the reader what a cartogram is. Cause you've got like the core. <laughs> so people haven't seen it. It's like a, it's your, it's a core map by congressional district. And there's this little button you can click um, and it will toggle over to a cartogram. And so it all sort of animates into these little boxes around the thing. And there's just like this little perfect explainer of like what a cartogram is. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so the origin for that, um, anyone who follows me on Twitter has probably seen me <laughs> um, explaining cartograms to <laughs> readers who 
not so kindly ask me if I know where Louisiana is. Um, <laughs> every time, every time we use a cardigram, um, we end up getting comments of like, Axios, they're so stupid. Why don't they know where Iowa is? And, <laughs> and um, I'm just like, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm in my 30s. I'm a data viz professional. Right. I, I've seen Arkansas. Like this is not. Like, <laughs> so I, I always have to explain, you know, what is the purpose of a cardigram? The, the purpose of a cardigram being that it, it's a map form where you distort the map in this case to show different geographic areas with the same size and shape so that larger geographic areas don't get more emphasis than smaller ones. Um, basically that, that Texas should not be more important than Rhode Island in certain cases. Right. Um, so I, I always explain that to people on Twitter and most of the time they come back and they're like, Oh wow, I, I didn't actually get that. Thanks for explaining that. And so my team kind of jokes that like, it's my, my, like it's my personal mission to just like <laughs> teach people what cartograms were. So I really loved that when they built this and kudos to Le Monde because we, we definitely heavily, yeah. we were heavily inspired by them um, for the way that um, Will built out the cartogram showing the boxes inside of the state the shapes. States, yeah. And Jackie wanted to include an explanation of what a cartogram was. Yeah. They were worried that if they just put that word there, people weren't going to bother clicking on it because they don't know what it is. Um, and so they wanted to explain what it was. Yeah. And so I'm pretty sure that she almost word for word <laughs> ripped off one of my Twitter rants. Right, right. Um, and so that ended up making it in there. Hey, there you go. So Twitter is good for something. It's not, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not at all. Um, yeah, that's right. That it did remind me of that Lamond cartogram from from the election. Yep. It's the it's the core platform. It's the map with the with the squares inside. That's pretty I, great. I completely adored that cartogram. I thought it was just so beautifully done, and so yeah, we were heavily inspired by that. So so I'm curious, and and, and I won't keep you all day, but I, I'm curious because the way I I talk about that Lamond map and for mm-hmm. those who haven't seen it it's an outline of the united states with all the states outlined and then it has little squares in each state for the number of electoral votes um the way i talk about that map is oh if i think about the average le monde reader in france probably doesn't know the details of all the states in the u.s and electoral votes so mm-hmm. it makes sense that you'd give them the geography and these sort of little unit charts on top of it I'm curious, though, for your readers, like, why did you include the toggle between the two? Um, because just to te- get at that cardigram, like, no, no, no. I mean, Wyoming is why, you know, right? Yeah, right. yeah okay, yeah. Wyoming is one congressional district, and yeah. my own congressional district in Arlington, Virginia, is impossible to actually find on yeah. a geographic map. Yeah, Wyoming is one congressional one, district. One district. Yeah. Um. It's really important, I think, to balance those um, by showing that my congressional district, even if you can't find it on a map, has more people than the state of Wyoming does. And 
you should be able to find both of those districts with equal ease on this kind of map. And then putting those little squares inside of the geographic states, I think makes it a really fantastic bucket. Mm. Um, I think that congressional cartograms are typically lots of little squares or hexagons that are roughly in the shape of their original state, but they're all kind of grouped together in a way where they're very blobby. I think that the way that Le and and now Axios has put them into their geographic states, they're tiny little buckets. Yeah. That, that really help it keep stay organized. Yeah, I like that. States as little tiny buckets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is great. Danielle, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to uh, see what you guys come up with next. Um, I love all your work and yeah. Well, thank you. Kudos. Um, thanks so much. So good to talk to you. Thanks. And thanks everyone for tuning into this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this entire season as much as I did. This is wrapping up season eight of the show. As I tell people, everyone has a podcast, but I've been doing it for a while. If you would like to support the show, please consider sharing it on your networks with your favorite podcast provider. Check out my offerings on Patreon, or if you'd like to get some mobile data viz right to your phone, check out my Winnow app, Two to three times a week, I send out a little text with a new visualization, a new technique. I've got some giveaways going on with some books that I'm just trying to clean out of my office. As you can see behind me, if you're watching the video, I've got a lot of books in my office, trying to clean some of them out. So anyway, this is the last episode of the season. I wanna thank all the folks who helped me out every time an episode comes up. Ken Skaggs, Sharon Sotsky Ramirez, the folks who transcribe the show, uh, and everyone else who has joined me and taken time out of their day to talk to me about their work. I really do appreciate it. And I hope you and your family and your friends have a safe and happy and healthy summer. And I will see you in the fall. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people help bring you the Policy Viz podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.